0: Nine cents. Nine cents. Is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I'm your host, Reverend Campbell. It's great to have you. It is July the 11th, and uh, got a pretty good show for you in the Devil's Advocate. We're going to be talking about Satanists phase out, and uh, I'll make more sense once we get into it. In the Infernal Informant, Florida averages 3,380 plus new COVID-19 cases per day as the Delta variant surges and. India's most populous state seeks to promote two-child policy. We're going to close it out with a bit of a fun one, Fear Street. There's a trilogy of films, and they're good. (laughs) It's on Netflix, and we'll get into it. Let me start here by clarifying, as Satanists champion life, as this is all we've got, we do everything we can to live as full and rich and vibrant of lives as possible. No one ever tells you the downside to living a long, healthy, vibrant life is that you have to watch everyone you love die. That's the downside to it. But, uh trying to keep it together here all right so one uh i want to share one memory that's specific to satanism before i move on with everything else and that's that uh i think i think maybe my favorite collection of essays on satanism is the uh the devil's notebook because it's so powerful You know, so many great essays in it. And I think it was from The Devil's Notebook. I think. I mean, it must have been because that's the only one I had the time. But there's an essay in it that's talking about psychics. And it's talking about the psychic industry. And then there's this whole monologue about how if you were to call a psychic, you would deliver this monologue to tell how pathetic and sad and, and bullshit they are. So Gabe and I decided to call a fucking psychic and deliver this monologue to them. It was the most brilliant moment in my youth where we literally called into a, a fucking psychic hotline and they're, you know, trying to be as positive and upbeat and everything as possible. And I literally, I'm just reading, reading verbatim out of the devil's notebook, talking about how pathetic and sad their industry is and how fucking hollow it is and uh they're like well here you know they named the company i can't remember now we try to give positive messages and that one little experience will carry me on for fucking ever thinking about this guy just sharing this wonderful moment of calling a psychic on their shit using the devil's notebook (laughs) It was fucking awesome all right um I've I seen some messages that are right, like from some, some one one person post this and they asked can you be a Satanist and a Christian <laughs> and my reply was no and they said um oh gosh let me pull up no oh, I can't pull it up now um like there was a response like oh shoot I thought you guys were all liberals I thought You know, I can be a Satanist and and a Christian. And if you don't understand this premise, this is the damage that shit heels like TST do to this religion. They make you think that you can be and think and act however you want. And as long as you're liberal, you can be satanic just like everyone else. And that doesn't benefit them. That just makes them look like a bunch of fucking tools that have no semblance of any meaning at all. All it does is shit on our fucking lunch. And so every fucking apologist out there about oh live and let live, oh, TST is just doing their own thing. No, they're actively ruining the word, the religion, the concept that has been diligently crafted fine-tuned and honed to a fine fucking sharp edge for 50 years. Their fucking kitty bullshit is fucking it up. Now, this asshole who is a Christian who wants to be a Satanist fuck them. I don't give a fuck about them. They were never going to be a Satanist anyway. They just wanted to jump on some fucking good guy, badge, bad guy, badge bandwagon and be a part of something that's ah, a little bit greater, a little more dangerous, a little more exciting than what they have in their regular fucking lives. That doesn't matter. They're going to die alone and fucking empty and sad. Great. But for the rest of us, you come to my house where I've been communicating Satanism for well over a fucking decade, and you're going to bring some TST shit in here? Have you lost your fucking mind? No. First of all, not all Satanists are liberal. Hell, I get accused for being liberal and progressive. I call myself a social progressive, but I still think we should be executing people in the public square, so how liberal actually am I? The fact that you would think for a second just proves how either poorly we're doing communicating what Satanism is or how effective shit disturbers are at deconstructing what Satanism is. And either way, in either case, it is a sad fucking state of affairs. It infuriates. And I'm not the only one standing out here trying to communicate Satanism. We have official agents, we have the administration, we've got people doing their damnedest for the past 50 years to clarify it. And no matter what we do, it's an uphill battle and we'll never, never be in a position where we're like, job done. It won't happen. And we understand that and we get it and we accept it. But to get a question Like, can I be a Christian and a Satanist? Have you lost your fucking mind? How dense are you, as a human being, to think that that's ever possible? No is the answer, in case you didn't know. All right. Fareed, thanks for joining live. Jason, good to see you. Silly Swastika, good to see you. Thanks for tuning in live. Uh, Gary, what's up, man? Vasiri, how you doing? Daniel, what up? Dog, how you doing, hon? Uh, Zachary, what up, my man? Let's see. James, great to see you. Jimmy, thanks for joining live. And Jameson, Sean. <laughs> I think that's everyone. Uh, ayow. <laughs> I don't know how to say that. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in live. I appreciate you. I dig it like what you're putting down thanks for tuning in this first segment is actually for all of you it's framed a little bit differently but it is actually for you so let's dive into it devil's advocate All right, yeah. Can I be an ice cube made of fire? <laughs> you know what it's like. It's uh, from the movie Frozen. It's uh, that 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 snowman guy. He's like singing a whole song about. I can't find the right image, so I'll just throw that up. Um, he's singing a whole song about being an ice cube, getting like sunburned, <laughs> being a snowman, getting sunburned. It's pretty funny. All right, uh, I originally had a different title for this, but I thought this was actually a little more appropriate. So I want to sort of back up before I move forward in this conversation to lay a little bit of groundwork to explain where I'm coming from. Um, I was reading We Are Satanists, and there's a chapter where the doctor is talking about how he stopped doing public rituals and exclusively uh, was holding member only rituals ceremonies and rituals and then he started the grotto system um, and then he quickly stopped the grotto system because it wasn't doing what he wanted it to do and the reason why it wasn't doing it is because people are using these group events whether it's at the black house or whether it's in their local grotto as a way of culminating and just sort of hanging out with each other rather than doing what satanism is supposed to be and that's being an empowered individual, moving through life professionally, right? Finding your own destiny, as it were, um, paving your own path. Instead, people were just hanging around. They are like, no, why should I pave my own path? When I got my peers here, they're all telling me I'm great. I don't need to go out and, you know, have other people tell me I'm great. When they're already telling me I'm great here. It was literally handicapping what it meant to be a Satanist. And so he disbanded the grotto system because it became antithetical to the very religion that it was formed to promote, ironically. Um, And then you start thinking about what it means to be a Satanist and the different phases that you inevitably go through. And there was a point where the doctor stopped performing rituals full stop. There was no public ritual at all. They would have people come to the Black House who were members, and they would perform Friday night rituals, but you would not see the doctor present. It would be other people acting as the priest of the ceremony. You would never glad hand with the high priest. The point of that is so that people don't start equating Satanism with Anton LaVey and start equating Satanism with yourself. Don't look to some higher entity, some Pope, some grand poobah that's going to give you everything. But rather, how am I going to utilize this religion properly and help use it to infuse my life with direction and tools in order to overcome obstacles that which will inevitably come into my 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 pathway? Um... And the grotto system ultimately just ended up being people trying to take advantage and put themselves in position of authority, sort of be the middleman between the Satanist and the church of Satan and or the high priest. And if you're going to do that, you might as well be a Christian because that's how they do things. And that's not what Satanism is. First of all, the high priest is a part of the organizational structure, not the, uh, the the savior of Satanism. And so there should never be some sort of intermediary between you and the high priest because your goal as a Satanist should not be to reach the high priest. Your goal should be to reach the most effective version of yourself. So as soon as the grotto system stopped focusing on the religion and accelerating the individual and instead started focusing on the community aspect of uh, some sort of satanic camaraderie, then it lost all of its purpose and they disbanded. For some crazy reason, which is explained, but it's not rational, they tried the social experiment again. So, as the doctor started noticing that there were natural phases to certain Satanists that he would witness, they would come in because they discovered the religion. They started to become excited about the religion, naturally. They wanted to share that excitement with others. But then they would move on to the next phase. And that's leaving the group and focusing on themselves, achieving results. That is the next phase of Satanism after first phase. So he started seeing this naturally recurring phase of people coming in, getting excited, talking and sharing, and then applying. And as soon as he started realizing that the next phase of Satanism was actually the real phase of Satanism, he didn't want any part of that first phase anymore. He not only shut it down himself without doing any more public rituals, but he also shut down the system that was perpetuating it, the grotto system. He wanted to see Satanists actually apply the religion, not just stew in its... (laughs) The wart of other Satanists, you know? Ironically, we see that every single day. So why am I talking about this now? Why am I bringing this about? Because I've been speaking to Satanism through this specific show, Nine Cents. I had a hiatus. I did five years, took a hiatus, then exclusively wrote essays, and then produced Speak of the Devil, and then jumped right back in a couple years ago with Nine Cents. Or last year. I think it was last year. (laughs) Um, so I've been communicating Satanism for a decade now in one form or another, and I see people coming in, they discover the religion, they discover my channel, they get wildly excited, they start communicating with me fervently, they're emailing me and they're, you know, wanting to share ideas and, and wanting to be involved. Um, they're showing up in the chat and it's just this beehive of excitement and then they just sort of disappear and they move on. kind of like that and and I, I want to put a pin in this because I don't want people to think I don't want to see recurring names or faces but every once in a while these people that were so incredibly excited and they just sort of fell off my radar they'd come back and they just show up randomly in the chat and they're like hey just thought I'd check out the show how you doing and that's great because then I know for a fact that this phasing out system is real People find out about the religion they're wildly excited about. They try to latch on to every aspect of it, and then they go apply it. And I love that. Now, the way that nine cents differs from a grotto system is that we're not doing what a grotto would do. Uh, We're not holding group rituals. We're not holding hands and sort of gathering in this community sense. It's literally once a week. We get together for about an hour, and we just sort of talk about, if not Satanism, then world events and entertainment and literally, that's it. And you and the chat can inter- engage with each other and stuff and share your ideas and thoughts. So this is very much not the same thing as a grotto. I don't want to equate the two. But I do want to say that I've witnessed the same audience experience that the doctor experienced in his grotto system. And that just proves the reality of the point. Is that this religion was not made for us to huddle in masses and hold each other's hand and glad hand and say it doesn't matter if your boss or no one else out in the world likes you. We think you're the best Satanist ever, so good job. No, we're discerning, (laughs) demanding individuals. If you don't hold up, we ignore your ass. We're not going to be focused on you at all. At best. We may glance at what you have to offer, and if it's not valuable to us, we move on. And we're applying this religion the way it should be, not like a grotto, but as individuals. And I am in a position to witness this firsthand, and I cannot tell you how reassuring it is to be able to see those of you that I've known for years throughout this, sharing your experiences in the live chat, or in uh, uh, comments after the live show, or sending me emails, when I'm down and out, you're sending me messages, uh, you know, sharing your thoughts and ideas. If I share something that I'm excited about, or talk about a topic that you find exciting, you're reaching out and you're letting me know. I easily, if only having the access to Satanists online, slash in social media, would have become disillusioned with this religion I would have thought that Satanism is only social network Satanists. And I am so incredibly encouraged to know, firsthand, that it's not. It's not. The religion is not its members. The religion stands on its own two feet. Members may lean against it, may identify with it, may take some of the tools from it, may may connect with it. But then they go off and they actually achieve their own versions of real world success. And being able to be in a position, albeit small, I'm not fooling myself, but to see that firsthand, that's why I love this religion because it's not proven out in a social environment. It's proven out in an individual environment, an individual that is battered and beaten and faces the real world and the real world smacks it around and it doesn't back down. And in fact, rather than just being beaten, it steps up and it changes the conversation. It uses lesser magic to adjust the situation so that it's no longer being battered. And then it just walks on by. That's what a Satanist is. That's what a Satanist does. And if you're not doing that, if you're just existing in an online world where everyone is happy and everyone is holding hands, you're missing out on the point of this religion. It's to achieve is to live, is to experience. That means getting hurt. That means getting knocked down. That means feeling a little too hardly. That means your nerves are going to be a little bit more raw sometimes. But that's okay. Because in the end, you're still standing. You're still swinging. You're still moving forward. No one's going to give you anything. If you're in a community, yeah, when you're down, they're going to pick you up and they're going to hold you and they're going to give you a hug. If you're a Satanist, you're on your own and it's a choice you make. Is it worth it to be able to stand on your own and suffer the consequences of that? Some of us think so. It's not easy. It's really fucking hard. It would be much easier to just be a no-name nobody in the middle of some Christian congregation where you just get glad-handed. That would be easy. But to stand in defiance of that? Championing what it actually means to be a human? So anyway, I guess, I guess this entire segment should be rounded out in a way for me to tell you that I see you I appreciate what you're doing. This actually sounds like glad ending. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck. Thank you for keeping that inner flame ignited for me. That's all. Thanks. Because if it wasn't for this show and it wasn't for that live chat and it wasn't for these comments and these emails that I get, I wouldn't know. And knowing is is really fucking inspiring for me. It is anyway. I could go on just being a Satanist and not ever think about other Satanists. And that's fine. That's 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 a course. And to be honest, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about other Satanists. But every once in a while I get a note and I'm just like, God damn right. You know? Or like in the book club, just for an example. And you, you ask someone's opinion and they give you this really well-thought-out concept. And you're like, yeah, you know what? We are the fucking alien elite. We really are. It's not because we're standing out, championing a cause. It's not because uh, we're being the loudest or the squeakiest wheel. It's because we're actually thinking critically and we're acting in life. I don't know. It's refreshing. And I don't know about all your situations. um, But around me, there's not a lot of acting. There's a lot of blaming. There's a lot of coattail riding. There's a lot of just sort of sitting back and trying to game the system. There's not a lot of people fighting. Not right now. But there is out there. God damn it, that's what's great about this religion. Anyway, thanks. (laughs) All right, let's do a little infernal format. Florida averages 3,380 plus new COVID-19 cases per day as Delta variant surges. This is from ClickOrlando.com. As the country is seeing an increase in COVID-19 Delta variant cases, Florida is seeing a jump in overall coronavirus cases and a higher positivity rate. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention projected data shows the Delta variant now accounts for more than half of all cases in the U.S. for the week ending in July 3rd. The Delta variant first identified in India is considered highly transmissible and has raised concerns that the country will not be able to continue easing COVID-19 restrictions as quickly as planned. The state saw a positivity rate above 5% last week for the first time since May 10th, and Orange County reported a positivity rate this week of nearly 6%. Orange County Mayor Jerry Dermings, Demings <laughs> said the Delta variant shows the numbers are not trending in the right direction. Health officials, I imagine him like stomping his foot. <laughs> They're not trending in the right direction. Uh, the state's uh, positive, um, oh, hold on. Health officials in Orange County are concerned as the county has 40 confirmed cases, the Delta variant, though Dr. Raul Pino of the Florida Department of Health says the number could be higher. He, like many other officials, are urging vaccinations to help reduce the spread of variants and said about 40% of the country's population remains unvaccinated. 40% remains unvaccinated. We're going to have a pandemic brewing in unvaccinated people, and then we're going to have about 60% of our population protected, he said during a weekly update. I want to stress this line because I thought it was probably the most beautiful line of this entire article. We are going to have a pandemic brewing in unvaccinated people. Responsibility to the responsible. In action. I love that. Stupid people are dying because of their stupid choices. When have we ever had that in our lives? We've grown up with warnings on bleach saying, do not drink because people drank it. (laughs) This is, this is the best possible scenario. This is the, this is the greatest. You die from COVID-19 when you don't get a vaccine against COVID-19. Brilliant. Yes yes let them fucking die uh in an effort to bring vaccinations to people especially younger populations the city of orlando is working through august to bring mobile vaccination sites offering pfizer and johnson and johnson doses to neighborhoods ahead of the school year pfizer also announced thursday it would be seeking us authorization for a third dose of the vaccine saying another shot within a year could boost immunity and help against the delta variant according to the associated press Amidst the continued push for vaccinations, as overall cases are increasing, the CDC is asking a federal appeals court to put a hold on Judge's ruling that backed Florida's fight against the cruise industry. The judge ruled the CDC overstepped its legal authority to place restrictions on the cruise industry. But attorneys on the CDC say the world exacerbated this spread, uh, said this would exacerbate the spread of COVID 19. The Florida Department of Health reported 23,697 new cases on Friday that occurred during the past week, bringing the state's overall total to 2,361,360 cases since the virus was first detected on March 1, 2020. That is an average of 3,385 new infections reported per day. Florida reported 32 new virus-related deaths Friday from the past week, the state reported the cumulative death toll as 38,156 or 57. However, when the 32 new deaths were added, it increased the total. (laughs) I don't know why they added that line. Uh, The state stopped reporting the number of non-residents who died in Florida with its new weekly reporting method. I wanted to talk about this article because stupidity should be painful. This is a satanic idea that we've been talking about for decades and it is it is you don't get a flu shot and you get the flu it's painful (laughs) it hurts you don't go to the doctor then you die of some bullshit illness that you could have prevented stupidity it's painful it still happens in life and it's beautiful when it does beautiful everyone has known about this virus for well over a year now. Everyone. And all the hype, there has been negative hype and there's some bullshit out there. In fact, young people don't seem to be affected hardly at all by this. Healthy people aren't affected by this hardly at all, if you do actually get it. But there is the small percent. And so, what do you do as a responsible human being? Do you gamble with the only life that you have, or do you do the responsible thing and hedge your bet? I hedged my bet. So I'm not worried about getting this stupid fucking variant. I'm not worried about getting this stupid fucking vaccine or this stupid fucking virus that's going to potentially kill me because I'm not stupid. And I took the fucking vaccine that prevents me contracting said stupid virus. And then there's people out there who just, they're too much of individualists. They're not going to be told what to do by anyone. I imagine they were the same people that fought going to bed at night with their mommy. I want to stay up another minute, mommy. Come on, let me stay up, please. Whined and bitched and moaned until they got their way. Or maybe they were just picked on too much and now they're adults. They're not going to be picked on by anyone, especially not the government. Well, Good. Good because that means that I have a chance of never having to meet you, never having to come across your path, your stupid, childish, irresponsible fucking path. I'm gonna live and you have a chance of not. And I like that. I like that a lot. I've often looked at and I, I mentioned this in, in a show last year when we were in sort of the heat of the pandemic, that even though it kind of sucks, it's kind of cool. You know, you don't want to get it. You want people you love to get it, but it's kind of cool that so many people are fucking dying because they're fucking stupid. I was in a moment this weekend when I went to a Skaj festival, um, which was just fucking wonderful, and walking through these crowded causeways of you know people going back and forth and every once in a while i saw someone with like two masks worried that they're gonna catch it and i'm just sitting here like dude get the vaccine you don't have to worry anymore like that's it you're good just get the fucking vaccine you don't have to wear the mask in 109 degree heat around tons of other fucking people like you could just be happy and comfortable you what don't you want to be happy and comfortable (laughs) Don't you want to hedge your fucking bet at life? I don't get it. I don't get these people. They deserve to not be here. That's all I'm saying. I'm not going to hurt them. I'm not going to send them packing, but I'm not going to cry when they do. They need to go the way of the dodo is what I say. All right. What do you guys say? Obviously injecting bleach is the better option. Uh, Oh, herd immunity was the plan. Uh, I believe I'll see people closer to me get sick. I think we need to focus on safer and cheaper and easier to administer vaccines and let those who don't get it alone, they don't want it fine. No, I agree with you. I agree. And, I, and, and here's, the, here's the other side of this, dog. I think we should stop advertising it. We should stop talking about it. No one should ever say, do you want the vaccine? It's available. We should just stop because the more people that ignorantly don't want to protect themselves, let's just let them fucking die. Let's just let them fucking die. Let's remove a lot of restrictions. Don't wear your seatbelt anymore. If you don't want to wear your seatbelt and you want to risk flying through your windshield, good. Go forth. I don't care. I'm putting mine on because I'm not a fucking idiot. Like there's little things like that, that. Every day just sort of cut off a couple percent of the chance that you're going to die on a on any given day, right? You can just just sort of head your bed a little bit better. Little little actions that take no real effort. Like I I had a fever dream one night and that was it. And now I don't think about COVID. I don't think about contracting this stupid fucking disease that killed my fucking friend. I don't think about it. You can still catch the Uh, coof, even if you're vaccinated, still got to keep clean. Um, Though I've never seen anyone, I've never heard a report of of anyone saying that I had the vaccine and there's a proof to that, and then they got the vaccine, or they got the virus. I've never seen that case, but I don't deny that it's possible. Anything is fucking possible. There's only a certain percent chance that the vaccine's going to help you anyway. So you're right that you still have to be smart and not, like, touch everything that everyone puts out and then put your hands in the mouth like of course don't be stupid don't be an idiot but that goes with any virus that goes with the flu and colds and anything just be a responsible respectful human being on the planet and you're gonna you're gonna hedge your bets again it's all about just hedging your bets because chaos will happen the mad fucking universe will have its way but we can hedge our bets and i sure as hell will you have a don't ask, don't tell policy. It's health info. It's not your business what you did or don't do and vice versa. Now, I agree. I, I mean, to be honest, if I knew that you didn't have a vaccine, it would not matter to me to have you over for a barbecue as an example or to share a glass, a drink with you, for example, because I have had it. And I am healthy enough that I am not concerned that if I do get it, that it would be the death Now, Now, I could be wrong and I could be proven wrong. But my percentage is so low that I actually feel really good sharing a drink. That's all. Not that I go out of my way to do so, just as an example. Um, Governor Gretchen Whitmer announced Michigan COVID-19 vaccine sweepstakes is shot at $5 million in cash prize and scholarships. Well, it goes to say something about our culture, right? Where you have to incentivize someone to protect themselves against a deadly virus. Think about that for a second. You have to offer someone $5 million in order for them to protect themselves. Why are we doing that? Why not just kill them, use the $5 million to, I don't know, fix roads or buildings or some sort of public works, and we're at a net gain? Literally. (laughs) Because I guarantee the person that is refusing the virus... I'm sorry, the vaccination is probably not one of the most industrious people on this planet. Worker bees? Probably. S- captains of industry? Possibly. But I would argue, on average, out of total ignorance, we'd be okay without him. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, I don't. I just don't care about people. That's really what it comes down to. <laughs> Uh, population control for the stupid sounds like a great idea. Yeah, man. I think we should take warning labels off of everything. Everything. There should be no warning labels ever. Because if you cannot think for yourself and think, maybe I shouldn't drink dish soap. Or maybe I shouldn't drink Ajax. Or if you think that the warning label helps the toddler who can't read from drinking and getting into your chemicals... You're a fucking idiot. You just prevent their access to them. So that covers those who can't read. And then those who can read should be able to critically think. And they should know not to inject chemicals into their body. And if they think that's okay, well, then we don't have to worry about them anymore, do we? They do not taint the gene pool any longer. And our future is that much brighter. What we have now is protecting damaging genes to perpetuate into our future we are cultivating failure for our future why are we doing this i don't understand it don't get it but that's just the way i see it let's go to this next article Uh uh-huh and this is just sort of a a wonderful case study India's most populous state seeks to promote two-child policy. This is from Reuters. India's most populous state. Okay, I'm going to have to say a lot of Indian names, and I'm going to pronounce them incorrectly. So be prepared. <laughs> I just want to put that out there. If you're Indian and you're listening to me mispronounce all of your names, just I'm a stupid white guy. What do you want? I don't. I don't know these things. <laughs> all right. India's most populous state. Uttar Pradesh has proposed legislation that aims to discourage couples from having more than two children, becoming the second state ruled by Prime Minister Narendra Narendra Modi's party to make such a proposal. If Uttar Pradesh were a country, it's 240 million people. 240 million people in this state. Would make it the world's fifth most populous and population density in the northern state is more than double the national average under the state government proposals unveiled on saturday couples with more than two children would not be allowed to receive government benefits or subsidies and would be barred from applying for state government jobs okay so here's the deal you can have more kids if you want but you're not going to get state sponsor if you do again this is brilliant This is, this should be the, if this was the U.S.'s case, we would immediately cut welfare by like 95%. The state, oh, this would be amazing. People have kids so they can get tax credits or perpetuate their bullshit religious fucking ideology uh, to repopulate the earth, which is a fucking idiot fucking notion when you think the fact that we are actively overpopulated on this goddamn planet. But, like, my parents had five kids. Five kids. <laughs> that is too much. That's just, that's too many. If I had to shake off some of my, br- my like, my brother and some of my sisters, I'd do it. Oh, yeah. I'd do it. I got names in mind. I'm just saying I only had two kids and then we both got fixed because I'm a responsible human being <laughs> That's because I'm better than everyone who's had more than two kids. And for those of you who don't have any kids, Bravo, Bravo. You are helping this planet. And by extension, us survive on this planet that much longer. I appreciate your selfishness. <laughs> I really, really do. Not everyone should have kids, and those who do have kids, just cap it, too. Your ego doesn't need more than two kids. Your pocketbook certainly doesn't need more than two kids. And if you just need to waste your money by having that many kids, send it my way. I'll take care of it for you. The bill says that because of the state's limited ecological and economic resources at hand, it is necessary and urgent that the provision of the basic necessities of human life are accessible to all citizens. I want to stress that for a second. You having more than two kids prevents others from having benefits to this society or living in a fair way in this society meaning having opportunities because your extra bullshit offspring is clouding up the opportunities that should be available to those who do not shit out more than two fucking kids and let's be honest is a third kid really that great what are they bringing that the first two couldn't accomplish what is it that they have to offer that is so much better than the first two. And let's just lay some fucking groundwork here. Maybe your genes aren't really that great to be having kids in the first place, all right? You taint the gene pool by having two, maybe you got a cute kid, maybe they have, you know, curly hair and you think it's awesome when they're a baby. Okay. But statistically speaking, they're not actually gonna benefit society in any meaningful way. So do you really need them? Really? The draft law, which is open for public comments until July, would need to be ratified by state lawmakers. India, which is expected to overtake China as the world's most populous country by 2027, does not have a national two-child policy. The northeastern state of Assam, which is also ruled by Modi's Hindu nationalist Bharatiya Janata Party, last month announced plans for a similar measure that would withhold government benefits from families with more than two children. Assam's chief minister, Himanta Biswasarma, has said that the proposal is partly to control the population growth of the state's Bengali-speaking Muslims who trace their origin to neighboring Bangladesh. Uttar Pradesh, governed by Hindu hardliner Yogi Adiyanath, is also home to the big Muslim population. The state's draft law includes incentives for two child couples if one of them opts out for voluntary sterilization, including soft loans for construction or house purchases and rebates on utility bills and proposed taxes. That's brilliant. You get sterilized and we're going to give you extra benefits in this society. That's how it should work. That's exactly how it should work. If you are going to be a productive member of society, we will benefit you. If you are not going to be a productive member of the society, we are going to disincentivize you. That is perfect. That is what everyone should be doing. Now, there may be some bleeding hearts out there listening to this and saying, but it's the disenfranchised muslim population that's having more kids that needs the extra support no one's making them have more children no one's making anyone have more children that is a choice now in the cases where it's not a choice i.e rape this is where women being able to have abortions comes into play where birth control comes into play We should encourage that as a society because it benefits us. One, two plus two equals, yeah, as a society. It just makes fucking sense. Republicans are too fucking stupid to realize that. Christians are too fucking stupid to realize that. Apparently Muslims are too fucking stupid to realize that. But everyone else in the world seems to understand that, even communist China. So maybe communists aren't all so bad. (laughs) That's going to be a pull quote you don't need more than two kids and arguably most of you don't need any i don't need any i'm glad that i have the two that i have it just sort of happened to work out for me (laughs) but but i didn't need them it's ridiculous It's ridiculous. We need to start thinking in terms of what brings me the most happiness. And if shitting out children makes you the most happy, you need to be executed in the street and thrown into a ditch. That's just how I see this world. If you don't produce... Uh, if you don't contribute to the society, you should not be in the society. If you are actively sapping resources from the society because you want so many goddamn children, you should no longer be in the society. You want Swiss Family Robinson? Go into the goddamn jungle and be one. I don't care. Do your thing. But don't expect the rest of us to take care of you. And here's the other side of this coin. If you're on that rare situation where you want to have 12 kids, and you can afford having 12 kids. More power to you, do your thing. I disagree, I wouldn't, but that's awesome. If you can afford it, do your thing, I don't care. Because you're not sapping resources from society. But if you are, if you are, we need to nip that in the bud. Now, we raised a bunch of uh, hullabaloo, rightfully so, when we were forced sterilizing indigenous peoples. But maybe we should start force sterilization again for those who can't seem to stop having children. Now, I'm not saying it would be an easy decision to make. I'm not saying the line about who falls on which side is gonna be a good, easy, simplistic line. just saying maybe we consider it and people bitch about me about being too liberal that's the thing that's what drives me insane (laughs) these fucking people man all right what do you guys say your grandparents had 11 kids that is the most irish catholic thing i've ever heard today (laughs) they were catholic right william they had to be catholic that's an irish catholic thing Uh, United States population isn't very high compared to China and India. Well, no, it's definitely not. Uh, By way to combat welfare here is uh, to find companies that a certain percentage of their employees go on assistance. What? What? Best way to combat welfare here is to find companies that a certain percentage of their employees... Oh, I see what you're saying. Like people who work at Walmart and they're working minimum wage and they can't afford to actually live so they go on welfare in order to pay for that. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Um, I think that should be a part of it as long as they're not actively working against their own state. You know what I mean? Like, if if you're fighting to survive, you shouldn't have any kids, period. Because you cannot take care of them. You can't afford to take care of yourself. You can't afford to take care of kids. Don't have kids. If you can afford to take care of yourself and you cannot budget to be able to take care of kids, don't have kids. Now, again, people have un- You know, they become pregnant and they don't want to get rid of it. Okay, that's fine. But then you have to step up. You have to work harder. One job doesn't cut it, then work two. It's not easy. Our ancestors did it. It was your choice. You have to live with the consequences. Now, if companies are not paying minimum wage or the minimum wage they're paying is so far below the national average in order to survive... Well, then that's a societal issue that we're facing right now. And we are facing that issue right now as being dealt with. And I do think corporations, I agree with you. I do think corporations need to um, be taxed or fined or penalized in some way if they're not benefiting those who prop them up, their employees. You know, the people who are working and doing the, the the hard work on a day-to-day basis, they're not, they're not paying them enough to be able to live in the state in which they are uh, working, then yeah, they should be penalized for sure. But, but, but there has to be personal responsibility here as well. It's got to be, it's got to start with personal responsibility and then it's got to double up over to uh, the corporate side of things. It's got to be a joint effort. It has to be. At least that's how i see it the entire planet should thank you for choosing to never have kids thank you sean thank you <laughs> um needs to introduce it in a way they can accept it until being a productive member of society means including ideological leanings only christians are useful kind of thinking will kill us all huh until becoming a productive member of society begins to include ideological leanings i don't i don't i don't understand that i don't think I don't care what religion you are. If you contribute, then, then I'm then I'm fine with you. Like you know, you pay your taxes, you you provide some form of service for someone in society. Then, good on you. Do your thing. Do whatever you want. Be a Christian. Be a Muslim. Be I don't I don't care. Be a spaghetti monster follower. I don't fucking care. But don't expect me to take care of you if you're not actually putting the effort. You know what I mean? Like that's the thing. And right after you said delete them. (laughs) Um, Unfortunately, we live in an egalitarian society which completely goes against the Peter principle and promotes nothing more than a society of mediocrity. Yeah, Jameson, um, I'm afraid that you are absolutely right. But um, I have nothing to add. (laughs) You're right. You're right. See a lot of social service crutches in Canada, so it's a problem both sides. Good. Good, Lazarus. I'm glad that you guys uh, over in hockey t- <laughs> hockey country are suffering as badly as we are in gun country. Standardizing tests for human breeding with a physical and reversible from birth control without hormonal interference. Uh, well, I mean, you know, we live in a society that that prefers to teach abstinence Rather than safe sex. So arguably. And good argument. We should no longer exist as a society. Like we have thrown the fucking death nails. In our own coffins. We are the reason that we are. We're doing this to ourselves. And this is the worst part about all of this. When we think of these global problems. That we're having. And you start bringing it down to the local level. Then you start realizing that. We're. We're doing this to ourselves. We're poisoning ourselves. We're harming ourselves. We're making rules hurting ourselves. Like it's, it's us. We're the ones doing it. How insane is that? We created a society and we perpetuate that society that actively works to break us down. And then we have the gall to complain about it. And then, to top it all off, when we have the slightest opportunities to change the system that's pushing us down and grinding down our spirit, we sit home and fold our hands together. No one listens to me. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna sit here and jerk off because at least at the end of the day, I have something to show for it. That joke that George Carlin fucking wrote is probably the most damaging joke to our society we are the reason that we are hurting and we are the reason why we will continue to hurt because we're too fucking stupid as a species to use a little fucking critical thinking and common sense to fix our shit we're too stupid satanists included and we use jokes FOR FUCKING JUSTIFICATION TO DO NOTHING. JOKES. We don't deserve to live. We don't fucking deserve it. If that's your answer on fucking uh, election day and any voting day that we have, I'm just going to sit home and do nothing because the system doesn't work for me. If that's your answer, you don't deserve to exist anymore. Because you're actively part of the problem. Ah, uh, not that I have emotions on the issue. I don't really have an opinion. All right, I don't. I'm getting pissed off. I, don't, I we gotta fucking let's let's cheer up with a little creature feature. Fucking, we suck. Humans, are the worst, the worst, the fucking worst. We kill dolphins, the most majestic and innocent creatures, so we can have canned tuna. No one in the history of the world has ever thought I would rather kill dolphins so that I can have canned tuna than not have canned tuna. No one. And yet we continue to do it. We're the We're the worst. We eat the most arguably the most intelligent sea creatures under the fucking ocean level octopus. Because it's exotic! Ooh, we can fry their little tentacles and it looks like a curly fry, nom, 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 Meanwhile, they're the most intelligent fucking creatures on the ocean! And we just eat them because it's a fucking... it's a cool thing to do! Fuck! Humans don't deserve to fucking be here. We- we've fucked up this place so much! I I don't know why I'm getting all heated about this. Because it's not like it's new. I'm just getting really mad for no fucking reason. Alright. <laughs> Let me collect myself for just a second. Oh man. <clears throat> it's hot in here. <laughs> Is it hot out there? God. <clears throat> Good news. <laughs> On a lighter note, Fear Street is an amazing, <laughs> amazing set of films so far. I actually there, a lot of people that I've uh, I watch for reviews regularly, kind of shit on this um, this film, so I almost didn't watch it the first one. So it's a, a three filmed plan event. They're releasing weekly. Last Friday we got the second film. This coming Friday we're going to get the third, and it's going to complete the trilogy of films. Um... Fear Street is actually a teenage horror fiction series written by American author R.L. Stein, and he started it in 1989. In 95, a series of books inspired by the Fear Street series called Ghosts of Fear Street was created for younger readers and were more like the Goosebumps books that featured paranormal adversaries like monsters or aliens, and sometimes had twist endings. R.L. Stein stopped writing Fear Street after penning the Fear Street Seniors spinoff in 1999. Now, in summer 2005, he brought Fear Street back with a three part Fear Street's Nights miniseries, and as of 2020, over 80 million copies of Fear Street have been sold. R.L. Stein revived the book series in October 2014. On July 2nd, 2021, a trilogy of films based on the series began being released weekly on Netflix. The first one was Fear Street Part 1, 1994. If you were alive in 1994, you have this vivid memory of music. In the same way that every generation sort of has its music, its tunes that it reflects on. And for some crazy reason, we actually break it down pretty evenly by the decades. I don't know how it works out that way, but we just generally do. It just happens to work out that way in most cases. So when you watch this film, you get those good feels of, of music. Coming through, and they actually play the music in just the right moments to really dig into that nostalgic element and really just sort of cement your position in the era, which I appreciate. They don't overplay it. It's not like Guardians of the Galaxy, where it's like they lean on the music. It's just there, it's in the background, putting you in place. So this is directed by Lei uh, with a script co-written by Phil Grasid. Can we just have normal names, people? <laughs> Can everyone just be Smith? I'll be Adam Smith if you'll just be Phil Smith instead of Phil Graziadai. Graziadi? Graziati? Fuck. And uh, Gen- Geniac. From an original story by Kyle Killian, Graziadai and Geniac. Stars... <sighs> I'm not going to read all these stars' names because I can't. Fuck, I can't. For some... why Smurf. There it is. That's right, William. Everyone is Smurf from now on. Kiana Smurf, Olivia Smurf. Benjamin Smurf, Julia Smurf. There's a lot of really great actors in this. Uh, the film follows a group of teenagers in Shady Side, Ohio, who are terrorized by an ancient evil responsible for a series of brutal murders that have plagued the town for centuries. I love shows that start off as if it were a scream, sort of just generic slasher, and then twist stuff up on its head the sort of lore the legend on its head instead of it just being a slasher for slasher's sake no there's a history here and it goes back years and years and years to witches Ooh, you already got me hooked i'm into witches let's do this let's find out where this fucking rabbit hole leads This first film is great. It sets itself up as this just traditional slasher. And if you love horror films, that's not a bad thing. And you're just sort of enjoying the witty 1994 opinions. And sometimes some of the actors come off a little bit harder than you think they probably should in a scene. But you forgive it because you're just enjoying the slasher side of the film. So it's not great, but it is good until that final act. And just when you think you have it all worked out and everything, all the the best laid plans are going to be fucking uh, realized brilliantly, holy shit, do they change it. I'm still angry about the end of the first film. Two weeks later, I'm still angry about it. That's how good I thought it was. It took everything that I loved about it and twisted it to make me hate it, but... By hating it, appreciate it. It's like someone punches you in the face and you never saw it coming. You're just like, I can't even be mad at that. I kind of should have seen it, but I'm tipping my cap at that punch. Good job. You got me. That first film got me. Okay, but that's not it. It gets better. They come back for a second film. So Fear Street Part 2, this is 1978. It's set in a camp, so you're immediately thinking Friday the 13th. And the setup is kind of that, or, uh, oh, geez. All right, never mind. I was going to do some other camp references, but I can't remember the goddamn name. Um, basically your camp horror film setup, right? It's really sort of ridiculous tropes that everyone expects, except it's mean. It like right off the bat, they start the second film and it is like so aggressively mean you want to walk in and beat up little girls. That's how bad it is. I dare you to watch this. And not want to beat up the black-haired girl. I'm putting it out there. Dare. You tell me if I'm wrong, but I know I'm right. Um, So the film centers on a group of teenagers in Camp Nightwing. Who must first come together to survive a possessed counselor's murder spree. So in this one... So the first setup is that people are being possessed by some ancient something. uh, Making them actually return to life. To murder people, right? So it's a supernatural thing. The second film is the same thing, except it's a corruption from the original source, not necessarily a murdering and coming back to life situation. So we get very close to the original mythology in the second film, which is just It's just like the, like, beautiful witchcraft gold where, you know, this woman makes a pact with the devil and taints the ground and the, the, like, literally the grounds are cursed and everything. The witch has ultimate sort of afterlife powers. It's, it's, it's the gold that you want as a really great witch horror film. I live for this shit. And she just corrupts, for no apparent reason, random people. She corrupts his counselor. And he just goes on this murder spree. And these, here's the other thing. I thought these were meant to be kids films. No, these are gruesome. From the first film on, gruesome murders. They hold nothing back. As much blood and gore as you can, like, axe in the head, and then pulling the axe out, and then just lingering on the axed face for a couple seconds longer than you think probably should be done. It's awesome. It's awesome. It is so good. And there's people out there who don't enjoy this stuff. And it blows my mind that they're actually reviewing it, but they don't enjoy it. This is horror, gore, gold, people. And there's sex, too. That's the best part. Bitch, oh, and the music in the second one, because it's set in 1978. This is my era of music, people. This is the brilliant 70s rock and roll era. It is great. Oh my gosh. And the colors are just desaturated enough just to fucking dig in the fact that it's in the 70s. Oh man. And the redhead from Stranger Things, the girl with, like, she had the like shitty brother that would, like, beat people up. She's in it. She's great. I, her name is Emily Rudd, I think. No, she's Sadie Sink, I think. I don't know. She's one of the actors. I don't know. I don't know. Um... It's really good. I mean, it's genuinely really, really good. So the third one is coming out this Friday called Fear Street Part 3, or 1666. Yeah, that's right. So we're getting the pre-colonial era here, people. And the setup is this. In 1666, a colony is gripped by a hysterical witch hunt that has deadly consequences for centuries to come. Meanwhile, the teenagers in 1994 and 1978 try to finally put an end to the town's curse before it's too late. They're working in different eras to solve the same problem, and we're about to see the catalyst of the problem. This is such a good series, and I can't believe it hasn't been done before. It is, it, it's so brilliant in its, the realization of the different films, and it's so honest and, and direct in its appreciation of the horror films that have come before it but still being different and lively enough to turn things on its head just enough so that you can appreciate it for being something truly original and different. I haven't said this about horror films in a very long time. I'm very excited about this series and it's almost over. I'm going to be very devastated when it's over because I was literally screaming (laughs) and I was watching it on Friday, like screaming. My wife was like leaning her head and we were sort of snuggling and stuff and Something happened. I was just like, oh, my God. Just in her face and ear. And she was like, oh, what are you doing? Huh? And I was, just, I couldn't help it. It was just, it happened and I had to react. That's how good this is. I defy you not to enjoy this <laughs> this movie. It's so good, man. All right. So what do you have to say? You want to see the third one, Lazarus? Hells, yes. Humans are animals. Fucking returns, species wayward. Yeah, no, totally. Sleepaway camp. Uh, I was actually thinking of that um, comedy camp show that came out, and then they did a revival of it years ago. But because it's you know know, all camp settings are kind of ridiculous. They have like over the top bad kids, and then over the top nerdy kids, and like there's this one scene with this uh, sort of overweight nerdy kid who's uh, like at a home base where if you're playing like tag or something, then you take the the enemy guys that you tagged and you put them in this home base, and he was trying to just be a cool kid. He's like, hey, so. What do you guys think? You want to hear some music? Or you want to talk? And they're just like, Shut up, nerd. you know, they're just being douches to him. And then he gets killed! And they don't! What the fuck, man? <laughs> I was, I was connecting with this kid. I'm like, I love this kid. I want to hang out with this kid. Let me offer this kid a beer inappropriately. Because I want to spend time with him. Oh, shit, now he's dead and I can't. <laughs> like... What the fuck? That's what I love about this show. It takes every trope that you expect and just twists it a little bit. A little bit of titty twister here and there to make you go, "Oh! Didn't see that coming." But tipping the cap for you doing it. So good, dude. It's so good. Um, yeah, they were way dope murders, man. Uh, the strife for a better future is goal. We must remain cra- Oh, you're still talking about real life stuff. <laughs> Okay, so you guys are talking about real estate. So anyway, I highly recommend you check out this series, um, limited series. It is really, really good. Like, genuinely really good. If you love horror films at all, this is a series you don't want to miss. Um, it It's different enough to be its own thing, but it still feels connected to the legacy of horror that we all have come from, and most of us have experienced anyway. So, uh, definitely worth it. And I'm way past my hour. <laughs> Ten minutes is way past... Thank you guys for tuning in. I appreciate it. Um, I know I'm not always put together, and I know I'm not always presenting in like the most professional and down to earth way and and sometimes I can be sort of off and stuff. Um, just like all of you, I'm a creature of the moment and and I try to to process what's happening in the moment and 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 do my best. Uh, I feel like you guys are okay with that, and so I appreciate you giving me that leeway um, I love doing this show. I love doing this series and I love having the interaction that I do. And it's because of you guys. So thank you guys so much for being a part, um, the major part of, uh, the continuation of this series. And every week I have something to look forward to because I get to spend some time with you guys. So thank you very much. Uh, until next week, hail Satan.